the last part shouldn't be as long here. Um, again, we're going to do just the first 30 days. Um, and then next time before we start Matt, for Revelation 20, we'll do the last 45 days. Um, now, this is, well, well, we'll get into this study now here, but um, it's not uh, clean cut when everything will happen during this period. We basically know the things that are going to happen. Um, and there's uh, one division that we're given, and we can kind of see what things will happen before and what things might happen after that division. But we get this division of 75 days from the uh, last chapter of Daniel. Uh, and this essentially designates a transition period. Transition periods are not rare, especially moving from one civilization to another or one dispensation to another, where, uh, for example, when we look at the flood, there's the time in which the announcement of destruction was made, um, Genesis 6-3. God says 120 days or 120 years, uh, and then destruction will come. Even once Noah got on the ark, there was a seven-day waiting period. There's uh, the one year on the ark. Then they come off of the ark, and there's a bit of time between getting off the ark and when God establishes a new covenant with them for a new way of uh, interacting with them in their new changed circumstances. Same thing happens in a big way uh, uh, in the transition between the dispensation of law and the dispensation of grace, where we move from the uh, mosaic system into the system of, of the church. We've got, first of all, the gospel periods covering three years of transition where the law is still in operation, uh, but some church elements are starting to be uh, expounded. We've got a transition that begins there where uh, a new form of being is essentially given uh, in the hypostatic union, where we've got, for the first time in history, God in human form. Uh, this is spoken of as the last days, especially by Peter and First Peter. Um, he refers to that time in which God took on human flesh as the beginning of the last days. So that three years is kind of an overlapping period. Uh, and then we've got a 40-day period between the cross and, uh, and the establishment of the church at Pentecost. That 40 days, the Mosaic law system was not in operation, but the church age was not in operation either. It's a 40-day gap. Uh, we have the same thing between the end of the tribulation period and the beginning of the kingdom, but this time we have a 75-day gap. That shouldn't surprise us. This is in line with God's pattern of how he uh, makes these momentous changes in his operation towards people, um, towards his creation. So in Daniel 12, we get that uh, time period indicated to us. Uh, Daniel 12, 1, now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, life uh, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So we've got here the last days, the tribulation period, specifically the day of the Lord, the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, the last three and a half years of the tribulation from the midpoint to the end. Uh, then uh, those who are, uh, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Uh, 
that is those mortals who are on the earth who have, who have salvation, they're wrapped in the righteousness of the Messiah, uh, they will be rescued. They are the elect for whom the days were cut short so that they might not suffer death. But also many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life. So we've got a group of people that will uh, be resurrected, but we have another group of people that will be resurrected to disgraced and everlasting contempt. So a group of people that will be resurrected, one to life, one to everlasting death. Um, there's that uh, quippy little, um, I guess it's a little paradigm, but that uh, those who, what is it? Die one, live, die once, live twice, or live once, die twice. Um, is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Um, uh, Daniel 12.3, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Uh, many people have postulated that Daniel was revealed much of what's in revelation but was told it's it's not the time yet um, so that was revealed later to john uh, what daniel uh, wrote down and revealed was from daniel 1 to 12 uh, and he did not exceed that um, so whatever revelation he was given and was told to seal it up uh, he sealed it up he didn't write it he didn't reveal it but that's in Daniel's mind still. It's been revealed to him for his understanding. So now when we get revelation and we look at Daniel, we get to see what he understood uh, in this last chapter. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? So these wonders that he's talking about are the things that were just revealed to Daniel, that Daniel was told not to write down, but that we get in the book of Revelation. So this one asks, okay, how long is all this going to take? Uh, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his hand, uh, right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time, again, three and a half. And as soon as they finished shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. But Daniel continues, verse 8, As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. But now he does go in and he explains a little bit to him. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. That's uh, Zechariah 13, especially the purification of Israel. Um, also, what is it, Ezekiel 29, where they pass under the rod. There's going to be a purging of the rebels. There's going to be a purification of Israel. They're going to be refined like gold and silver. But the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand but those who have insight will understand. For the time that the 
from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up. Again, that looks to the midpoint of the tribulation period. Uh, this angel is referring to something that had been revealed to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, that one uh, from the prince of the people who would come would um, cut off the regular sacrifice, try to make alterations to times and law, and that he would also establish the abomination of desolation. And that from Revelation, we learn, is at the midpoint of the tribulation when the false prophet uh, raises up an idol to the false Messiah and they begin to worship him as God or as the anointed one of God. So from that point, the midpoint of the tribulation, the abomination of desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days. Now, this is probably why in Revelation we get references to 1,260 days because we're supposed to think in terms of Daniel, but there's a 30-day disparity here. Uh, so that's the first one that we're going to look at this week. Next week, we're going to look at the 1,335 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. So in other words, Daniel, you won't see this, you're part of the resurrection at the end of the age. You won't see this in your lifetime. But we've got 75-day interval, 1,260 days from the midpoint to the return of Christ. That's three and a half years or 42 months. This is the amount of time that it's given to the false Messiah to reign over the earth. At that point, he's cut off, but that doesn't mean that the kingdom begins. Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 tell us that the coming of the kingdom is going to be almost immediate, uh, but it's not going to happen at an instant. It's going to take 75 days. Um, at least that's what we glean from Daniel 12. 1290 days, an additional 30 days for the removal of the kingdom of the Antichrist, and 1335 days for the purification of those who will go into the kingdom. That's an additional 45 days. So for the first 30 days, we begin with the removal of the abomination of desolation, just as Daniel uh, 12, uh, 8 tells us. That abomination of desolation we see in Daniel 9, 26. After the 62 weeks, remember weeks is the same word for seven uh, in Hebrew. So after the 62 sets of seven, those sevens refer to years. So after, what is that, 463 weeks? I or 463 years, I think, uh, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So we've got these two opposing figures, the Messiah and the prince. The one will be cut off, and then the other is going to show up. Uh, its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant, speaking of the prince who is to come, with the many for one week, or one set of seven, seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So this one who comes on the wing of abomination, or in other words, um, is hot on the tail 
of the abominations. He's going to come and make desolate. This is speaking of the Messiah. He is going to come and destroy the kingdom of the Antichrist. Even until it is completely destroyed, this complete destruction is decreed, just like in the days of Noah, the destruction of the earth was decreed. Uh, it is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So in other words, he's not destroying something that he created, but something that the one who makes desolate came and recreated. He is going to destroy the cosmos system, the system of the false messiah. Revelation 13, 12 says he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, speaking of the false prophet. He makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from the earth, from the heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is the abomination of desolation that they set up in the temple and ascribe worship to. The false prophet operating as the uh, satanic third person of the Trinity um, ascribes worship to the false messiah so that Satan will be worshipped through it. And they do this at the location on earth where God will set his throne and where God has established worship to be ascribed to himself. Um, they do this specifically as a blasphemy to God because Satan is attempting to put his Messiah on the throne of the earth rather than God's Messiah. So this has to be taken care of. And that is the first 30 days. That's our first distinction. Uh, from the time of the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days, going 30 days beyond the, the arrival or of the Messiah. And we know generally the things that will occur between the arrival of Jesus and the destruction of the abomination of desolation only because we know that the abomination of desolation will be destroyed 30 days after the return because of Daniel 12. And the other things happen immediately after his return. Um, so in relation to Christ's return, not necessarily the abomination of desolation, we know that the false Messiah will have to be resurrected bodily. Revelation 13, 14 tells us of his demonic resurrection, um, who had a wound of the sword and has come to life. Uh, and this is referred after Revelation 13, pretty much any time he's mentioned again in Revelation, they refer to him as the one who was resurrected, but in John's terminology here. Uh, but then these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. But Habakkuk 3.11 speaks of this uh, false prince, this false messiah, the Assyrian, as it's put elsewhere, uh, as being destroyed in his body when Christ returns. So Habakkuk 3.11, sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. You went forth for your salvation of your people, uh, for the salvation of your anointed or your elect. Uh, you struck the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. Uh, this was actually the most popular um, of the minor prophets between the time of 
or during the whole time of uh, what's called the silent years, the 400 years uh, between the last prophet and the arrival of the Messiah, Habakkuk was the most popular book among Jewish believers. And one of the reasons why it was so popular was because it talked about the throwing off of the oppression um, of those who rule over Israel who are not gods. And during those 400 years, there was only a short period of time during which the Maccabees ruled, uh, where Israel was not dominated by an outside force, um, such as the uh, Babylonians, the Greeks, or the Romans, um, or the, um, the Medo-Persians. And so they are longing for that time when their Messiah will arrive and will destroy their oppressors. And here we have a very vivid image of the destruction of his oppressor. Uh, we can locate this in time and space at the point in Edom where Christ returns, uh, the point of Petra, uh, where the Antichrist or the false Messiah is going to be leading an army towards the tents of Judah, towards the people of Israel who are uh, guarded um, supernaturally by God. At that point, the Messiah returns and he's going to flay the Antichrist uh, from thigh to his neck. So from bottom to top, he's going to cut him wide open. Uh, this kills him. So what do we do with that? Since the false Messiah who had been resurrected, a false resurrection by demonic power, he's now cut open. He's laying down. And yet both of these, the beast and the false prophet, are going to be thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. Well, what we do with it is that he has to be resurrected. And there is biblical evidence for this. Isaiah 14, 12 tells us how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. Now, this is speaking of Satan and Satan's uh, aspirations. In fact, we see here the creation of the cosmos system where uh, rather than just God's will ruling over creation, there's the introduction of another will. And that other will is simply anything that's not God. So there's God's will, and then that which is opposed to God's will, and that's the will of Satan. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn, speaking of Satan, you have been cut down to the earth, you have, been weak, you have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assemblies in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is what Satan wants, and this is his purpose in presenting a false messiah. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory each in his tomb, so speaking of a man and speaking of a king, a worldly king, but you have been cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch, clothed with the slain who are pierced with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a trampled corpse. So here's the issue with the resurrection at the midpoint of the tribulation. 
Uh, Satan does not have the power to give life. Life is not something that he can create. Resurrection is not something that he can do, but he can indwell. And this passage gives us a hint that the means by which he will resurrect the false messiah is by indwelling him. So when the false messiah is operating in the last three and a half years of the tribulation and having worship ascribed to himself, it is Satan indwelling him. It says here, he is clothed with the slain who are pierced with a sword. And uh, Revelation 13 is basically just grabbing this language and inserting it into the description of the Antichrist, uh, who go down to the stones of the pit like a trampled corpse. You will not be united with them in burial. Indeed, Satan is going to be uh, held for a thousand years in the abyss rather than entering into the lake of fire with the false uh, Messiah, because you have ruined your country, you have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers not be mentioned forever. Prepare for his sons a place of slaughter because of the iniquity of their fathers. They must not arise and take possession of the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. How interesting. That's been his purpose throughout this entire, uh, well, actually, since the fall. We saw him filling the earth with cities, starting with Cain, and then continuing at Babel, raising Babylon in the last days. Uh, this is his attempt to create a cosmos system of his own creation. But Isaiah 14, 22 says, I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and survivors, offspring and posterity. He's going to end it completely, uh, declares the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the hedgehog and the swamps of water, and I will sweep it with a broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. So now we can kind of synthesize that again, thinking of the counterfeit that Satan has attempted to establish in order to make himself like God. He has mimicked the Trinity, he has mimicked the Messiah, and he has mimicked the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15.20, we see God's uh, establishment of the resurrection. We can go on in that verse, and we see the order that he gives for resurrection. He says all will be resurrected as part of this uh, first resurrection, uh, but the order differs, and that order is the idea of a sequence. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15.20, now Christ has been raised up from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So in this first resurrection, which is the resurrection to righteousness, not the resurrection to, uh, to the lake of fire, we see Christ coming first. He is the resurrection. He shows that those who have put their trust in him are going to eventually follow him. First, after that comes the resurrection of the church. First uh, Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through 18 gives us this resurrection of the church, as well as 1 Corinthians 15, 21. Then, though it's not in the sequence here in 1 Corinthians 15, but we see it occurring uh, at the midpoint of the tribulation in Revelation, God is going to resurrect the two witnesses that are slain. And this is uh, what we call the third sign of Jonah, because this is the last sign to Israel of the resurrection of the Messiah. Um, it will remind them uh, that God is the one who has power to resurrect. And if they have hope of being resurrected, they will put their hope in him. During the last 45 days of the 75-day interval, we see the Old Testament saints resurrected. 
followed soon after by the tribulation saints. Revelation 20 uh, details that. So we've got this uh, five element sequence of resurrection for the first resurrection. Interestingly enough, just as Christ was resurrected and going on to life, uh, going on to righteousness to show those who put their trust in him that they also have the promise of resurrection to life, so also the false Messiah is resurrected to death, resurrected to the lake of fire, in order to show all those who have put their hope in him, in the cosmos system, in the flesh, in everything opposed to God, uh, that they also will follow him in destruction. Everyone will be resurrected into a resurrection body, but their destinations will be different. For those who have clothed themselves in the righteousness of Christ, they will be resurrected and go on in their location to the kingdom and then into eternity with Christ. But for those who have put their hope in uh, the false Messiah, in the power of Satan, in this cosmos system, they will be resurrected by God into an everlasting body, but that everlasting body will be everlastingly separated from God into the lake of fire. And so I think Arnold Fruchtenbaum puts it really well in this statement. The irony to be found here is that he who would be the counterfeit son will be allowed to act out the counterfeit role to completion by becoming the first fruits of the second resurrection. But the result of his resurrection will be the lake of fire. So again, the importance of paying attention to every little word of scripture, uh, not just dismissing any of it as insignificant, just as uh, Eve happened to decide which words of God's were significant and insignificant and embellish them in some places and forget them in other places. Um, every word of God is important for instruction. Um, so we see that uh, kind of divine irony of how God allows him to play out that counterfeit all the way to the end, even becoming the uh, bellwether uh, for those who are resurrected to destruction. And then uh, this resurrected false messiah and the false prophet, whether or not he's resurrected or uh, slaughtered and then resurrected, um, we're not told. Uh, I think it's likely that he will be. Otherwise, he'll just be translated into his resurrection body, but they'll both be cast into the lake of fire. And the interesting thing about these resurrection bodies is that they are not consumed by fire. Um, Revelation 19.20, the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in the presence uh, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who uh, worshipped his image. Those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And this means alive, not just in the sense that we are alive today, but alive with eternal life, uh, but eternal life that will be uh, consumed by destruction in the lake of fire. Um, yeah, we looked at that. So that is the lake of fire's first two permanent residents. And then we have the abyss's temporary resident. Uh, this residency is taken up uh, during this first 30-day period that we're told about at the begin of, beginning of Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. 
and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And we see that indeed he will be released from the abyss. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. There's going to be a war that Satan comes to wage against God um, at the end of the messianic kingdom. One last attempt to uh, ascribe power to himself to overcome the Messiah, and we're going to see it. It ends very poorly for him, uh, but this finally confirms the righteousness of all those mortals, uh, because all the mortals who are aligned with uh, Satan at that time will be destroyed, and then will come the end of the second resurrection, but all those who are aligned with Christ uh, will be given their uh, permanent resurrection bodies at the end of the messianic kingdom and will enter into the eternal state where Jesus' throne over this earth will merge together with uh, the universal throne of God over all of creation and they will rule together for all of eternity. Uh, but Satan will be cast out into the lake of fire at the end of those 1,000 years uh, and so will uh, Everyone who has not put their trust in God, um, all the wicked dead of all generations, and then even death and Hades are going to be cast into the lake of fire, and it's going to be sealed up for all of eternity. So those are the events that we can be relatively certain will happen in the first 30 days after Christ's return. Uh, next week, we will look at the last 45 days um, before the kingdom is set up, where we will see the judgment of mortal survivors. Um, why we believe that the uh, mortals won't be judged until after the destruction of the abomination of desolation uh, is because in Isaiah 14, we saw that the kings of the world and other uh, people who had been deceived by Satan will look on at his destruction. Um, so they'll probably survive in their mortal bodies um, until after the, the rulers of the world are taken care of, being the false prophet, the false messiah and Satan. Once they're locked away, God will judge by means of Jesus. Uh, the remaining survivors, it'll come in two different ways. First, the Jews, and then the Gentiles will be judged, um, those mortals, uh, for a physical judgment of life or death. Uh, those, who, uh, those who have not put on the righteousness of Christ, like we saw that one in Matthew 22, who tried to enter into the uh, feast, but was found not dressed for the occasion, uh, they will be destroyed physically in their physical bodies, going down into Sheol, waiting the second resurrection. Then after that judgment on the physical mortals, uh, we will get the resurrection of the Old Testament saints that was promised to Daniel. We'll get the resurrection of the tribulation saints, which we are told ends the first uh, resurrection in uh, Revelation 4 or 20, verse 4. And then we get the marriage feast of the Lamb because all of the attendees have been resurrected. And the marriage feast of the Lamb kicks off the millennial kingdom. It is the kickoff party. Uh, and we're going to dig a little bit more into that marriage feast because last time we looked at um, who the bride is and who comes to the marriage feast. 
but there's actually two marriage feasts that go on. Uh, one is a uh, the celebration of a marriage that has uh, just been consummated, and the other is a return um, of a uh, divorced wife uh, to her husband. We've got the wife of Jehovah, and we've got the wife of Jesus uh, being the Israel and the church. All right, so that's it for this week. Thank you.